This week, the story of Ruthven Mansion's resident ghost and its connection to my new book, which will lead me to finally a chapter read. I thought I'd start off this episode not with the book, but with a uh, bit about Ruthven Mansion. So if you're not familiar, this is one of the locations of the Ghost Walks that um, has run for, oh, has to be about 12 years now, I believe. Uh, Beautiful location. If you haven't been, I'm not saying come on a Ghost Walk, go there and check it out. It is a wonderful spot. If you're from the area uh, like in Hamilton, Toronto, or Niagara, it's uh, not too far away. Uh, Just look up the town of Cayuga or the town of Caledonia. It's in between those two. Actually, it's good if you go to Caledonia and you do, there's a scenic drive. Uh, You turn left at the first light when you get into town and it takes you along the Grand River. It's actually a really nice, calm drive that leads towards Cayuga. And right before you get into Cayuga is the entrance into Ruthven. So it used to be a town, uh, the town of Indiana. And so this family comes there, this man named David Thompson, and he builds this beautiful mansion in the middle of nowhere. It's got the the columns in the front. It The front door faces off to the Grand River. It's quite striking. Actually, I likened it to, if you see the uh, old southern plantations, in the U.S. South with the weeping willow trees and the statues. It's kind of like that. So he builds this mansion and he uses the uh, traffic on the Grand River. He wants to transport lumber and he also processes lumber in mills that are located in his town. Uh, This was all along the shoreline. And then what happens is uh, immigrants, uh, mostly Irish, they come and they move to the area. They build their little shanty houses and... It becomes a town. So that's how it ran for many years. And then it all comes to an end because of the railway system. So they bring the railway in and they decide, yeah, we're not going to stop in Indiana. We're going to stop in Cayuga. And it pulls the business down the street a bit. So workers leave. The shanty houses are left abandoned. Uh, The Thompson family stayed, though. So the Thompson family, they'd stayed inside that beautiful house until I believe the 1990s, when the last two Thompson family members, uh, David and and Drew, uh, they both passed away. So the house is then transferred over to a trust company, and they've opened up the grounds. So you can visit it as a park, and you can tour the house, which, unique, very unique. Uh, When we do the ghost walks, we actually go into the house. And the reason I say unique is because you can see the many generations of that family inside the house so you can like walk in the uh there's the part in the back but then you go into the kitchen and it's like uh teal (laughs) teal like you know it's like a blue green color that's everywhere and you can tell it's the 1970s and then you walk into the the dining room in the parlor and it's like okay this is the 1800s this is like the old style uh it's just a it's a really cool original feel to the building there hasn't been a an overall full renovation done to the house yet, but in my mind, as long as the house, of course, is not going to fall down, which I, it's not, but in my mind, I like the originality of it. I actually see the characteristics of the family better 
uh, through that originality. And like um, the Teal Kitchen was was done by Drew, which is like he was an actor. Uh, he was, you know, flamboyant character. And you can see that in how he uh, he did the kitchen. So anyway, I'm rambling. Wonderful place. But I want to focus my efforts here on the resident ghost of the house. Now, she is the definitely the most known. So like uh, when we go into location, you try and pick up the energies of the building through psychics and through investigation. And one of the main energies that step forward who um, I don't believe in coincidences. And this was one of the stories that was shared to me even before I went into the house. So I, I met somebody who had previously worked there and uh, she was the one who shared that story that happened to her, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. So this spirit lived inside the house for not very long, had a um, short time, short life, uh, only lived to, I believe, 11 years old, and uh, died of a disease known as uh, diphtheria. I believe that attacks the lungs. It's uh, terrible back in, in those days to get that. So a very tragic life, and the house is all she knew. So if you look at that history around the ghost, and you ask the question, okay, why could she be haunting the place? It all makes complete and, and total sense. So we find out about her even before going in. And the very first event that was done there was a special type event where people could kind of wander around and just experience things for themselves. And, uh, you know, certain things happened to some people and uh, that worked into the, the resident ghost of the house. So we believe her name was Bessie, Bessie Thompson. And um, she was the daughter of um, oh, David II. I believe. Yeah, David II uh, wrote a letter um, about her, and uh, I don't know who he addressed it to, but it, it had a description of young Bessie in it. That's how we know what she looks like. So the story that was shared with me comes from a former worker, former tour guide in the house, and she says she was leading a tour like many ones before, and they get into that area. If you've been on the ghost walk, you know the spot. It's right at the bottom of the grand staircase towards the front of the house. And where they they stand towards the stairs. And then the group will be standing in front of them with their backs to the front door. So she's talking about the history of the family, the history of the house. And as she's telling the stories, she looks through the group and there's this one child. Everybody else is adults. And this one child that catches her attention, this little girl. And the, the child is not looking at her, but staring at the staircase. And, uh, you know, normally it wouldn't really matter. You know, so maybe she sees something, a bug or something, and that's what she's looking at. But it was something about the way she was staring. It wasn't like fear. Uh, it was more like a longing. Like, um, you know, she she wanted to do something, but she knew that being in the tour group there she couldn't so the, the tour guy thinks about it for a moment doesn't allow her to you know stop doing the tour and then she finishes the stories and they move on and it's only at the end of the tour they're standing in the back room before going outside 
that the parents with the little girl, they walk up to the tour guide and they say, um, our child, our, our little girl, she has something to share with you, a question. And the little girl asks, who was the other little girl sitting on the stairs? Now, this is uh, very interesting for that tour guide because she's quite familiar with the history of the house, familiar with the letter that was written by David Thompson II. And she kind of knows where this is going. They must have had some kind of experience in the past. So she asked the daughter, what did the little girl look like? And the daughter gives that description. And guess what? It comes very close, if not matching, the description inside those letters. So here we have the spirit of Bessie, uh, you know, allegedly appearing on the stairs in front of another little girl. But think of all the adults that were in the two groups and that neither, none of them, not a one, unless they kept it to themselves, said that they could see Bessie on the stairs. And that um, makes me think that maybe Bessie is only reaching out to little girls like her, that maybe she's looking for a, uh, a playmate. So the final question that you have to ask in this, if you want to be a, a good investigator, <laughs> the final question you have to ask is, uh, well, why was Bessie sitting on the stairs? Why does that seem to be her spot, her focal point? And for this, you're always going to look into the history first. And it just so happens that uh, we have an idea of why that might be. Because there was like some alludance to this in the historical records that um, Bessie had a very deep fear. So as she was getting sick, uh, they said that she used to sit on the stairs for hours at a time. And she would sit there and wait, her eyes peeled on the side windows around the front door. And she would hear the noises of the hard shoes walking up the front steps in the shadow appear through that glass and then she would scream at the top of her lungs run up the stairs and hide in her bedroom now who was that coming to the door that scared bessie so much the local doctor so basically they say that bessie uh, hated the taste of the medicine that he gave her to try and bring down the symptoms of her terrible disease now, the reason I talk about Ruthven in this episode is because it is related to my new book. So I'm very excited about this. It's been in the uh, works for a couple years now. It's my first novel. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I wrote a Ouija board booklet that's currently on Amazon. And um, that's not really a, a novel. So I wanted to write a novel. And I had this idea rattling around in my head. So I wrote it out. And that process was absolutely amazing. I adored it to no end. I loved coming up with the stories. I loved coming up with the characters. I just enjoyed it so very much. And once the book was done, that's when I got into the editing phase. So I don't know if our writers are listening right now. You you probably feel my pain. You know, maybe now you're okay with it or you have your own editor that um, you know does that work for you, that terrible, terrible, terrible work. Uh, but you know, in the first couple books, you have to do it yourself. So I went through the editing process 
and I, I, I go through the entire book. It's approximately um, in book form. It's about 180 pages. And I just like, I, I, I did it the first time. I'm like, this is perfect. So then I start reading over the chapters again. And I'm like, this isn't perfect. So I redid it again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this time it's perfect. And then I read over it. It's not perfect. I, I find mistakes that I made. And as the storyline wasn't going well. I must have gone over this book maybe six, seven times. And I'm telling you that, you know, like if you're going over an article that's like two or three pages, it's totally cool. But when you're going over a book that's 180 pages, it's a long process. So I don't know. You can give me some thoughts on this uh, if you like uh, ggdaniel at ghostwalks.com. But uh, the, the, the editing process, and maybe it's because I... When it, when it comes to my writing, I kind of I kind of want to be a perfectionist, and the amount of times I've gone over, it, I'm still I'm still not fully happy with it, and I think it's just psychological at this point. Like there's certain parts of the book I absolutely adore, but then other parts I'm like, how can I say this better? How can I do this in less words? And I'm just on myself over and over again, and it just ugh, it's not good. It's not a good process. I'm hoping when I write the second book which maybe in the next year or so I'll, I'll release that, that um, I'll uh, be a little bit better at the editing process and not so hard on myself. So I've decided that I want to work within a world, and this is the very first book around that world. It uh, centers in around a, a family, and I decided to go with what I know. That's the... Uh, the suggestion from uh, experienced writers is you got to write what you know, or you got you got to be uh, so into the subject that you don't mind learning new things about it. So, what's the one thing I know? Ghosts, uh, demons, uh, psychics, and uh, that's that's the angle I went. So, I decided that uh, every book that I write from this day forth is going to take place in this world. I, I like it. Uh, it's not going to always be the same characters, but it's going to go back and forth in the timeline. But uh, this is the kind of the very beginning. So um, I could describe it to you, but I actually wrote a summary. And uh, this was a first experience for me as well. Uh, how to write a summary for the, you know, the uh, if you don't know what a summary is for the book, if you flip over a novel and you get that uh, short kind of description that you read on the back of a book. That's the summary there. I'm sure it has another more professional name, but I'm lost on that. So I wrote a summary for it, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't give too much away in the summary that uh, it would ruin the book. So I'll read that for you now. The summary goes as, uh, Meet Clive Harper, who feels he never deserved better. Stuck in hard times, his marriage ending, his job feeling like a trap. It all changes with a simple phone call from a dead woman, forcing him back to his childhood hometown of Clan Brassel, not knowing it'll lead to his destiny or his death. Meet Lady Jade Jackson, granddaughter of the most powerful psychic in Hamilton history, powers passed down to help people through her deep connection to the spirit world. Visited by a dark force, bullying her into these events, creating a connection, drawing her to Cran Brassel for a showdown. Godfrey is about a legendary family, 
once powerful and respected, but now forgotten. This is a story about the connection of family going beyond the limits of our material world, and a battle with dark forces made real through the hatred of one man. Dramatic, right? I hope that comes off right and that it kind of explains the characters around this book. And um, I guess there's really not much more to say. I'm just going to do a chapter read for you. And this is, uh, so the book kind of goes back and forth between two main characters. Eventually a third is thrown in and then it all comes together uh, just after the halfway point. And this is from chapter two which is Lady Jade's chapter. I hope you enjoy it. I loved my father more than anything. Holly stopped and looked at the floor. Lady Jade knew she was about to cry. Holly looked up, brushing bright red hair away from her eyes. Why'd he come back like that? Jade felt Holly's sadness as a wave into her chest, the emotion chakra. Head was knowledge, throat was communication, and the heart was love. She grabbed Holly's hand. Spirits are confused. She hated lying to her, but sometimes clients needed delusion after Holly arrived in her parlor filled with such panic and fear. She learned that lesson the hard way, losing clients as a young, headstrong psychic. Then her grandma Buffy told her, be truthful, not vivid. Buffy knew. Best psychic ever. Jade heard her grandmother's words over the spirits screaming in her head. Aggressive ghosts wanting everything said, she wondered how being dead made them so insensitive. You'd think it'd be the opposite. Living or dead, some people are just primetime a-holes. Holly continued, I was young. Telly was real. I didn't want him to burn. Her guilt hit Jade hard. Images flooded a spinning wheel of Holly's life. After seeing the life wheel for the first time, Images slid by in a blur. Jade didn't know what to do or how to stop it. Her grandmother, always ready to sit down in the living room with her, had two ancient wing-back chairs facing over a small wood table. A couple cups of Earl Grey tea calmed the room. The images, Buffy said, are memories with more than words. Just be open. Feel the wheel slow and stop. It always does, exactly where it needs to stop. A great lesson for life. Always allow things to happen. She shared that gem with a group of budding psychics while doing a seminar at Hamilton's Psychic Expo. There were so many confused faces. Guess they never saw the wheel. Holly's wheels spun, stopping on an image of a little girl riding a bike down a suburban street, her father running behind, reaching out and laughing, proud smile, yelling words Jade couldn't hear. The wheels spun and stopped on Dad giving little Holly a teddy bear. Her face lit up, hugging it tightly, the name Telly on her lips. Dad grabbing her shoulder, his words, keep Telly safe. Wheels spun and stopped on a burning house. Wait. The flames paused. Holly, are you ready for this? Yes, I am. Go. Flames shot from the windows in bursts of light puffing out black smoke, climbing the walls and above the roof. Jade knew it was Holly's childhood home. Fear spread over her heart for what was about to happen. Holly pulsated pure terror. 
The front door swung open and Holly's father jumped out, running down the stairs holding something tight against her chest. At first, Jay thought it was a sack. Then seeing flowing red hair over his arm, Holly clung to her father's chest as he dropped to the lawn, carefully lowering his daughter on the grass. Little Holly's face was gone, a stretch of skin from hairline to chin, smooth and then vibrating like the static on an old TV. Two disembodied faces floated above her, both little Holly, one with closed eyes and a tight frowning mouth, the other with wide eyes and was screaming. This was an overlap. Grandma Buffy said, clients will protect their fragile mind, overlap a lie to cover the truth. The screaming face was truth. Jade willed it to float down to the faceless girl. Her heart jumped as Holly's screams filled her head. Please don't let Telly burn, Daddy, please. Now Jade was Holly, looking at her father's face and feeling the innocent confusion of a child as she longed for her teddy bear. Holly's father's voice, deep, reassuring, It's okay, little star. I'll save him. Flash, he's gone. Little Holly sat up on the grass watching him run into the house, Holly's mother yelling for him. Flash, her dad disappears as the basement explodes. Fire shot out the windows. Jade felt warmth across her face. Flash, the fire has stopped. A blackened house stands in ruins. Holly's mother's arms holding the child tightly. Jade feels her confusion among the pounding sobs. Jade returned to the parlor. Holly, what happened in your nightmare? Nightmare? Holly choked on the word. Took a deep breath. It's horrible, Jade. My mom and I are on the lawn. The house is burning. My father just ran off. Before the explosion, I'm staring at an open front door. It's only flames and I know daddy's there. She stopped, shook her head as if to shake it away. Please continue. She nods. I'm still a kid, but not really. My body is a child, but it's me, like now. Along with all the guilt and sadness, I feel it in the dream more than ever. Tears streamed down her cheeks. I wanted to run in the house, screw the fire, to save him. Is that even possible in a dream? Maybe if I save him in the dream, he'd be back for real. Holly paused. Then I saw the shadow. Jade felt her fear, closed her eyes as the wheels spun back to the burning house. Little Holly and her mother huddled on the lawn, the front door wide open to a wall of flames, a man's shadow framed in the doorway. Holly was about to continue, and Jade held up her hand. It's okay. Don't say a word, just feel it. Jade entered Holly's memories. The shadow dragged across the porch and down the stairs, floating, his toes dragging over blades of grass and debris. Little Holly looked up at her mother who looked down. Her lips were pulled back into a smile, unnaturally wide pulled up towards her eyes. Stop, the scene paused. The smile frightened Jade. Nothing like it ever before. The mother's face was stretched back, the eyes void of emotion, like a Halloween mask. The image moved. I didn't say start. Jade felt through little Holly, cold air hovering around her cheek. The shadow had arrived. Her father's voice echoed, 
I saved Telly, little star. Jade turned, her father only an inch away, not the handsome man she saw. His hair lumped in a mass of goo running down both sides his face, skin black and peeling, showing off the white skull underneath at the hairline. Telly's safe, dear, but Daddy's not. The skin rolled down from his forehead, blanketing his eyes as streaks of bloody mucus fell away. Her father's face slid off, landing in Holly's lap. She felt the crusted skin hanging wet and heavy on her hands. His face without skin, skeletal, ready to fall apart, but it didn't. His jaw impossibly moved up and down as an eyeball slid out, hanging off the tendon bouncing lightly off a cheekbone. Her father's voice deep and wet, I love you, little star. Jade opened her eyes. Holly was crying. My God, Holly, you saw it. That thing wasn't your father. Holly wept. No, it's him. He hates me. It's my fault. All for that stupid bear. Her guilt ran deep. Jade knew the only way to break through. She closed her eyes and focused on the top of her head. Grandma Buffy had called it our connection to the other side, like dialing a phone. Jade felt the essence of Holly's real father enter the parlor, not the thing, but instead the smiling, handsome man running behind his daughter's bike. Holly paused as heavy energy entered. Jade looked up. Your father's here. Don't be scared. It's not the monster. I'm going to let him speak through me. Are you ready? Confused but calm. Holly said I am. Jade was proud. She felt into the dad's energy, pulling it down into her. Opening her eyes, Jade saw everything. Like a passenger on amusement park ride, she had no control. Dad started talking. Little star. Holly leaned back and tears welled up. Daddy? Her dad said, don't blame yourself. It wasn't your fault. I'm happy. Just as much as every day I got to be with you. I'll be with you forever. Nothing will stop that. Jade felt him smile. Holly recognized her father's smile, same one that comforted her through so much pain, but still comforting her now. But I have to go. Don't go. What about the dream? That wasn't me. Jade felt the fear. Don't talk to that thing. Ignore it. It's not here for you, little star. The table rushed as Jade as she fell forward. Daddy? Jade sat up. Holly's father was gone. The session was over and Holly seemed better. The tension gone. At the door, she spun and hugged Jade. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jade gently pushed her back. You're welcome, Holly. Guiding her through the door and watching her leave. The boy's voice was already against Jade's ear. You did good today. She ran back into the house, excited to talk with Michael. You saw it? Yeah. Holly's going to be fine. The darkness is gone. She knew what Michael meant. The thing in Holly's dream was not her father. Most of the time, it's a dark energy born from guilt or anger. Jade assumed this until coming face to face with something else. That gruesome moment of seeing the dad's decayed face, Michael answered the thought. It was real. Real meant conscious, not emotional energy, a genuine being. Not human, though. Never human. 
The room felt different, love faded, something had entered, and in a moment it was gone. Michael had talked, but Jade was lost. The boy's voice echoed as if down a long tunnel, muffled, and then clear again, I'm scared. Jade didn't need to say it. She was scared too. Okay, I hope that came off right. And it's funny, I'm going through the um, reading and I'm, I'm like editing as I'm going to. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this, man. There's this part I, I know I kind of screwed up the grammar and it's, they're typos. It's not like I actually thought that sounded good. But uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it came off well. Um, you know, the descriptions. I, I do get a little bit uh, into the weeds with some of the violence descriptions, but I... I want the reader to kind of experience it in all its uh, goriness. So hopefully that's how it came off. Uh, so as for uh, if this book is for sale, it is currently in the review process on Amazon. It will be exclusively on Amazon for now. I have a Kindle and a printed book version. So if you're interested, uh, by the time the podcast drops or maybe by tomorrow, which is January 27th, 2022, if you go to Amazon and just search for the title, which is Godfrey, G-O-D-F-R-E-Y, name of the family, you, you, you'll most likely find it. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this uh, different episode. I'm just very excited to have my book out. But don't worry, I'm going to get back to the usual uh, ghost stories and dark history next week. I'll talk to you then.